Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 25. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. People knocked, Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left them for another place. In the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. 
Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would guide us as we reflect on these words. We pray that your spirit would open our eyes and give us ears to hear. Encourage our hearts. Help us to see it in your presence, in your strength, guided by your word. And help us not to fear what men might do. To know that you are sovereign over all things. That you work all things together for the good of those who love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's no doubt that our culture is becoming increasingly hostile towards the teachings of the Bible and towards anyone who holds to those teachings. The epicentre of all of this conflict is what the Bible has to say about our identity and our sexual ethics. Our culture has no problems with us meeting in church like this each Sunday, praying to God, singing praises and hearing all sorts of messages about God's love. What they do find extremely offensive is the belief that God has the right to set the standard of what is right and what is wrong. Our culture would be much more comfortable allowing everyone to do what is right in their own eyes. Teachings of the Bible are increasingly coming into conflict with the popular narrative. Our culture is becoming more and more desensitised to immorality. And now rather than feeling convicted by sin, or at least trying to hide it, they celebrate it. And so for those of us who grew up in an Australia where the majority of people were Christians, or at least identified as Christians, this rapid change in our culture often causes us concern. We worry about what our children and grandchildren might be taught to believe in school. Are we going to lose the right to express our Christian beliefs in public or to teach what the Bible says without facing legal ramifications? In the past, I would have said that would never happen in Australia because freedom of speech is a very important aspect of Australian culture. We'd have to be honest and say it doesn't feel like that so much anymore. It would be easy for us to allow this cultural shift to let us get to let it get us down. But in the passage we're looking at today, we are being reminded that we don't need to be fearful of what could happen or of things that seem out of our control, because we serve the God who is in control of all things and who is working all things together for the good of those who love him. Now, the events that we're reading about in these verses happened around the same time that Saul and Barnabas were encouraging the church in Antioch. And that same time, Herod began to persecute the church. Now, we hear, Herod, hear a lot about Herod in the New Testament, Herod is not a name. It's actually a title given to a king of the Jews. Now, I say king of the Jews very loosely because he wasn't really a king of the Jews. He was sort of a, a puppet king for the Romans. He was, under, he was 
accountable to the Roman rulers. And that's why it was in Herod's political interests to keep the Jewish religious leaders happy. The religious leaders of that day, the Jewish religious leaders, they were very influential, very powerful among the people. And they could have caused a lot of problems for a Herod if he got them offside. Because all the Roman governors cared about was keeping the peace within their territories. And so if Herod upset the Jews, it probably wouldn't be long before he lost his throne. Now, the Herod that we are reading about in these verses is Herod Agrippa. It's helpful for us to understand that this is a different Herod from the Herod who beheaded John the Baptist and who conspired to have Jesus killed. That was Herod Antipas, Herod Agrippa's uncle. But in these verses, Herod Agrippa certainly seems to be following in his uncle's footsteps. As Herod began his campaign against followers of Jesus, he had James, the brother of John, killed. This is the same James who's also known as one of the sons of Zebedee or sons of thunder. He had James killed with the sword. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish religious leaders, well, he sought an opportunity to gain some political advantage. He decided to go after an even more influential leader in the early church. So he went off and arrested Peter. Verse 3 tells us that Peter was arrested during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is a very significant uh, note that uh, has been made here because the Feast of Unleavened Bread was one of the holy days that made up the Passover festival. Now, Herod would not dare have executed anyone during the Passover because the Jews would have believed that to be in a desecration of those holy days. And so Herod had to bide his time until after the Passover when he would be able to put Peter up on public trial. In the meantime, Herod had Peter put in prison. And to make sure that there was absolutely no chance of this one bloke getting away, he had four groups of four soldiers escort him. We don't know if Herod knew about the time back in chapter 5 when the apostles had been led out of prison by an angel. Whether he did or not, he wasn't taking any chances with this valuable prisoner. But while Peter was locked away in Herod's prison, the believers were earnestly praying to the Lord, asking God to save Peter. That night, Peter lay there sound asleep with a, a guard on each side, chained with both wrists. Can you imagine it? The very fact that he was asleep there in that situation shows just how much he was trusting the Lord. It's an incredibly perilous situation for him to be in, but he knew he was safe in God's hands. Peter knew that God was the only one who could control his circumstances. He didn't know if he was going to be executed like James or if he'd be delivered 
But what he did know was God was the one who was in control of what would happen. So as he slept there, sound asleep between these two soldiers, all of a sudden, the cell was filled with light as an angel of the Lord entered the cell. But the light didn't seem to have woken up Peter because he was so sound asleep, so at peace in such a perilous situation that it actually took the angel to poke him to strike him on the side before he woke up. You can imagine Peter sort of eyes half open, half awake, because the angel said to him, quick, get up. And then he had to explain to Peter how to get dressed. He said, put on your clothes and your sandals, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So Peter followed this angel out of the prison, passing the first guard, then the second, all the while having no idea really what was going on, thinking all of this was a dream or a vision. And passing through the gate into the city, and then all of a sudden the angel disappeared. And Peter was left on his own. Peter realised, once he was on his own, what God had just done for him. And so he went to go and encourage the other believers with this wonderful news. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John. That's John Mark. Now, as Peter knocked on the door, this is, if anyone says God doesn't have a sense of humour, they haven't read this passage. But this is an incredibly comical kind of a scene. As Peter's there knocking on the door, the servant girl came to the door. She was so excited to see Peter that she didn't open it. She totally forgot about opening it. She ran back to the others, overjoyed, exclaiming, Peter is at the door. Well, Peter's out there still knocking on the door. Then these same believers who had been praying for Peter to be delivered well, they answered, you're out of your mind. But when she insisted, she kept saying, it's, it's Peter, it's really Peter. And all they could come up with was it must be his angel. They were praying, but they were having a lot of trouble believing that God was going to deliver Peter in such an amazing way. They really didn't expect what God had just done would happen. And so while Rhoda was doing her best to try and convince the others that Peter was really at the door, you can just imagine how anxious Peter must have started to become, knocking away at the door there, knowing all the while Herod's men would soon come looking for him. So Peter kept knocking, probably getting louder and louder as he did it. And when they finally opened the door, they were astonished. In fact, I think they were probably a little bit hysterical by the way Peter had to actually signal them to to quieten down so he could speak. Once they were quiet, Peter told them the amazing way that God had delivered him from Herod's hands. Once he had encouraged his brothers and sisters in the Lord, he went to another place, no doubt to be safe from Herod. This is where the scene gets even more comical. 
The next morning, two big burly soldiers woke up. They were still attached to chains that were no longer attached to Peter. And they had absolutely no way of explaining what had just happened. When Herod found out that his most valuable prisoner had escaped and when these guards had no way of producing Peter, Herod took his anger out on these guards and had them executed. And after all this took place, Herod moved over to Caesarea for a while. Now, we don't know this for sure, but that may have been to get away from such a frustrating and disappointing incident. While Herod was there, he met with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Now, these the people of Tyre and Sidon, well, it was in their political interests to make peace with Herod. They had been at odds with him for some time. The reason they wanted to make peace was because they needed to trade with his country. They needed the food that was produced in Herod's territory. When Herod, on the appointed day when Herod met with them, he came in wearing his royal robes, looking as kingly as he possibly could look. He sat on his royal throne and he spoke as a king would speak, no doubt. The people were so impressed, or maybe so pleased to, to make this Herod happy, that they cried out, this is a voice of a God and not of a man. But as soon as the people said this, Herod instantly became ill. Luke explains in these verses that it was the angel of the Lord who struck Herod down and he died. Herod had killed James. He had arrested Peter, hoping to execute him. Herod had set himself up against God's people and against God. He had even allowed himself to be called a God. But despite all Herod's attempts to destroy the church and to steal God's glory for himself, the word of God continued to increase and spread. When James was put to death and Peter arrested, it's not surprising that the believers were tempted to despair. The ruling authority of their day had just put himself in direct opposition to those who trust in the Lord. He had killed James, who was one of the apostles, and arrested Peter, who was also one of the apostles. And if he had the power to take out two of the apostles, It's no wonder that the early church were very scared of what he would do next. But as Herod set himself up against God, God was showing those who trust in him and in his son that no matter who stands in opposition of God's plan, God will still work all things together for the eternal good of those who love him. The believers were no doubt praying for James just as earnestly as they had prayed for Peter. And yet we don't know why James was executed and why Peter was delivered safely. As we see the angel of the Lord striking Peter, poking him to get up because he was so deeply asleep. 
And as we see the contrast of him striking Herod down in judgment, we see God's sovereign hand at work in these verses. We see that there is no power or authority in heaven and on earth greater than our sovereign God. No earthly person or organisation is ever able to stop the plans and purposes of our sovereign Lord. So as we see our culture moving further and further away from the Lord, as we see our culture not just disinterested but hostile towards God's word and what he says is right and wrong, we don't need to give in to fear because no one can fight against God and win. These verses are also reminding us of the power of prayer. Not because of our words, not because of our faith, but because of who it is we are praying to. When we pray to the sovereign Lord of the universe, we are speaking to the only one who has authority in heaven and on earth, the only one who can change our circumstances. We are praying to the one who has the power to deliver us from the attacks of the evil one, to bring people to himself and to work all things together for our good. Because we can't always see all of the camera angles that God can see, we won't always understand how God is working to answer our prayers and how he is working through our circumstances for our good. I can't explain to you why James was executed and why Peter was saved. I just don't know. But I know that God was guiding that for his purposes. But what we can be sure of, because of who God is and because of what he has done for us through his son, is that God was working all of those events together for the good of those who love him. Even now, he's using the tension between God's word and our culture, this rising tension that we're feeling to bring people to himself. He's using this tension to encourage many who may have otherwise been lukewarm in their walk with the Lord to be more active, to take up spiritual arms against the attacks of the evil one. Because no matter what our circumstances may look like from an earthly perspective, no matter how outnumbered we may feel at times, those who trust in Jesus already have the victory over sin, death, and the devil. And if Jesus won those victories for us on our behalf, why would we, desire, why would we doubt his desire or his ability to work all things together for our good. So as we see this rising tension between our culture and those who trust in the Lord, let's not give in to fear. Let's not be afraid. Let's be driven to our sovereign Lord who is in control of all things.
Let's bring those concerns to the one who is able to work all things together for the good of those who love him. Let's trust that he is working for our good because he will always have the victory. Let's pray. Father God, we, we in so many circumstances, cannot see how you are working all things together for the good of those who love you. So often, Lord, we, we wish we were able to pick how you would answer our prayers. Lord, one day we will see, we'll see your loving hand at work. One day we will understand how you have worked all the days of our life out as you have come alongside us, encouraged us in our walk and kept us walking with you. So, Lord, we submit our will to yours. We put our trust in you as the sovereign Lord of the universe. So, Lord, we pray that when we are feeling anxious, when we are feeling worried, that we might bring our prayers and our petitions before you, the only one who is able to change our circumstances and work all things together for the good of those who love you. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.